0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for April 8, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, When Easter Keeps Happening.
1: Why don't we always call him denying Peter? Why don't we always call him betraying Judas? Why don't we always call her wasteful woman, the one with perfume? Or why don't we always call him sleeping James in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why don't we call him Shorty Zacchaeus? Why don't we call him Fearful Nicodemus? Why don't we always call him Ran Away Naked Mark? Look it up. Why is it that we only ever refer to Thomas as Doubting Thomas? Why isn't every other person that crossed paths with Jesus and fell short known by his or her one weak moment in time? And I even questioned if Thomas's moment was weak at all. Does Thomas always and forevermore have to live with that dreadful doubting hanging over his head? Does he ever get to be absolved? i love thomas sometimes especially the older i get and the more i'm in this job the more i see myself in him so it's not shocking that i don't like the bad rap that he gets who among us doesn't like some hard evidence every now and then and besides did you notice when i read the text that in the end Thomas never even reaches out to touch Jesus for the proof that he so adamantly said he needed. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm indebted to blogger David Luce for helping me to remember the whole story of the life of this character that we have labeled for all time as Doubting Thomas. He says... Try to forget for a moment everything you thought you knew about Thomas. Notice that I didn't say Doubting Thomas, he says, as this nickname is the first thing we need to forget. So forget that somewhere along the way you came to believe that Thomas's primary attribute is to doubt. Forget that you still think of, them, of him as a slightly inferior disciple. Forget that you're pretty sure Jesus rebukes him for his lack of faith. Forget all that you know. Why? Because in each and every case, the opposite is true for Thomas. First of all, Thomas is not anywhere in John's gospel, the only gospel where he has his own scene, his own lines, a characterization. Never is he described as the doubter. Rather, he's the twin, a name most of us have long forgotten. Further, when Jesus has declared his intention to return to Judea, and the other disciples try to dissuade him because they know it will mean his death, it's Thomas who urges the others to follow Jesus so that we may die with him, he says. Thomas is not so much a doubter as much as he's a realist. And a few days earlier, he had encountered a reality like never before as he saw his friend and his Lord nailed to the cross and die. Now, when his friends tell him that they've seen the Lord, he reacts with a realist's skepticism. Kind of like a terminally ill patient who has accepted his fate might react to the news of a new miracle cure. Second of all, did you ever notice that what Thomas asked for was exactly what all the other disciples had already gotten? When Jesus appeared to the other disciples at the beginning of the text that I read, he showed them his hands and his side and only then John records did the disciples rejoice because they had seen the Lord one conclusion we might draw is that despite his bad rap Thomas is really no worse than at least the other disciples more importantly though perhaps we've actually misunderstood the nature of faith altogether assuming that the more faith we have, the fewer questions we will ask. But the Bible offers us a different picture of faith, one in which faith and doubt are woven much closer together than we might imagine. Third, Jesus' words at the end of this scene aren't really about Thomas. After all, Who are those who have believed and not seen? Thomas believes. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. I think people always read that as a condemnation of Thomas. But it could easily be read that John is writing to members of the early Christian community, blessed are you who have not had an opportunity to see and yet still believe. And not just to that early community, but to us. I'm not so sure that sentence, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, is for Thomas, is for you. Looked at this way, far from standing as the inferior doubter that Jesus rebuked, Thomas emerges as a model disciple in John's gospel. Those other disciples in the first scene gathered in that room are despairing. What does all of this mean for them now? What are they to do? I imagine they're worried. I imagine they're confused. And they are very likely scared. Enter Jesus. Stage right. Though Easter has fallen on April 1st this year, just one week later, it's still no joke. No one has been fooled. Jesus came to them in a way they had never imagined, and April fools their despair. Easter fools their anguish, and hope is returned to them. And Thomas missed it. Don't you wonder where he was? But when he hears about it, And don't you just know that they could not shut up about it? Thomas, good, old, faithful. Thomas says, I'll believe it when I see it. Who among us wouldn't say the same thing? These guys had not proven to anyone their faithfulness or their allegiance. Peter had already denied These guys had not proven their steadfastness. No wonder Thomas did not find them completely trustworthy. I'll have to see it for myself. And what's wrong with wanting to see something for yourself anyway? It's hard to claim someone else's faith, isn't it? Doesn't there come a point where all young people must decide for themselves if they buy what their parents have sold them about faith? But Here's the best part of the story. When Thomas was with them that next week, Jesus enters, stayed right again. And the story doesn't say that Thomas ever touched him. He simply saw him and then went on to proclaim one of the most bold proclamations in all of the gospel story, my Lord and my God. So he didn't really need what he said he required in order to believe. In the end, he didn't have to touch him at all. He just needed his presence more than any sensational proof. Easter keeps happening. Don't be fooled into thinking that it doesn't. At least that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. I think that I require a whole lot more than I do. But in the end, I'm not as needy as I thought. You see, I'm pretty much a pushover when it comes to faith. Because for me, Easter keeps happening. I like to think that Thomas was a little bit of a pushover too. It's really not so different as back in the day, you know. When the women found the tomb empty and couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it until they believed it. And then they became the first preachers of resurrection good news. You know I love that story. And then later in that locked room when those scared and despairing disciples needed to be reminded that the one that they had given their lives to, the one that they had chosen to follow, they were reminded in that moment that he would never leave them. His presence was was that real to them. And then Thomas, who should probably just be called good old Thomas, instead of doubting Thomas, he saw for himself, he experienced for himself, and then he proclaimed the good news of the gospel again, my Lord and my God. And ever since then, Easter keeps happening. We continue to see it for ourselves how resurrection is not just possible, but it keeps happening. And when we can't see it for ourselves, we need to keep an eye out for the women who are running around telling about it. And when we can't see it for ourselves, we need to keep an eye out for those disciples that experienced it. And when we can't see it for ourselves, we need to keep an eye out for good old Thomas because we are surrounded by people who are Easter people. And sometimes all we can do is live off of their faith for a while until hopefully we can experience it for ourselves. But not everybody does. Not everybody does. So if you do, you need to be running around telling people about it because they're going to have to live off of your faith. Here's how John works. In the prologue, we're given a great riddle, a puzzle, the mystery of the Word made flesh. And the rest of John can be read as an unfolding, a revealing of this great mystery. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And then John's gospel ends with this confession, with Thomas, the not-doubter, saying, my Lord and my God. So in John's big, bold, crazy, symbol-laden story of Jesus, these words are huge. It is Thomas the skeptic who gets to answer the great riddle with which the gospel begins. Thomas is the one who gets to put in the last piece of the puzzle. Thomas is the one who gets to deliver the punchline of the whole story. It's Thomas who gets to light the torch and solve the mystery, my Lord and my God. It was Alfred Lord Tennyson that said, there lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. That sure is a good word for Thomas today. But the truth is, I just don't think he should have ever been labeled a doubter. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I think he just wanted to see for himself that April had not fooled him. That Easter was still happening. So is Easter still happening for you? I trust that it is, or you likely wouldn't be here today. And even if it's not happening for you, you know enough people in this room that it's happening for, and you show up and try to live off of their Easter good news. Tagore says, every time a baby is born, it's a reminder that God is not disappointed in humanity. It's as if I placed a baby to give a little cry when I read that. It was perfect. Every time a baby is born, it is a reminder that God is not disappointed in humanity. Easter keeps happening. People walk through tragedy and continue to call themselves blessed. Have you met those people? Easter keeps happening. People celebrate a life well-lived in the midst of the agonizing torment of grief. And grief is torment. And if you don't believe it, it's because you've never grieved. And yet, people celebrate lives well-lived. Easter keeps happening The sun rises today, even in the midst of poverty and despair, places where there is nothing but war and rumor of war, and Easter keeps happening. We gather here to worship freely and uniquely us, and every time I look out at you, I am reminded Easter keeps happening. We keep showing up on Resurrection Day. And Easter keeps happening. May Easter happen for you today. I have no doubt that it will if you are paying attention and asking the right questions. May it be so. Amen.